early morning light, women visit the tomb to find soldiers frozen in fear, the stone rolled away, and an empty tomb. On The Bible Brief. The Bible Brief is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Check out our website today at BibleLit.org. The disciples didn't understand. Almost immediately upon Jesus' death on the cross, his body was taken down, wrapped in burial clothes, and placed in a tomb. Almost immediately, a large stone was rolled in front of the tomb, sealing the body of Jesus to its apparent fate. Almost immediately, Roman guards were placed before the tomb to ensure that no one would tamper with the body. The events of the last few days were so much to take in. The disciples were simply overwhelmed and confused. The teacher that they had followed for years was dead. The man who they thought was the long-awaited Messiah was dead. Their leader, who had called them from obscurity into discipleship, was no more. The death of Jesus seemed an impossibility. After all, the disciples had seen the miracles. They had seen him walk on water, multiply bread for the thousands, and even raise Lazarus from the dead. They'd seen things that could only be done by the power of God. And yet the man who had done them did not suddenly assume the throne in Jerusalem and conquer the Romans. He didn't do, well, almost anything that they expected of him. Instead, he died like one of those Passover lambs silently led to the slaughter. He'd been crucified in a cursed death, a death that their law said was cursed by God. How could their righteous teacher die with a curse upon him? How could one who had performed all these things by God's power be cursed by God in his death? How could they make sense of any of this? Their quiet conversations of mourning and disbelief continued behind locked doors for fear of the Jews coming after them as they had come after their rabbi. These young men were devastated and were surely just trying to figure out what happens to us now. As Sunday was about to dawn, however, a woman that had been following Jesus went to visit the tomb of their teacher, a visit that would signal the greatest change in the world since the Garden of Eden. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and John and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But John outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Something big had happened, and the information was still scarce. Something had happened to Jesus something surely too good to be true. 
Soon Mary, however, would find out just what that something was. But it would happen in an odd sort of way. A way subtly expressing a new stage in world history. An age in which the sheep of the great shepherd would recognize his voice even as they couldn't see him clearly. An age in which the great gardener would prepare a new garden for his people. An age where old bodies of frailty would be exchanged for new bodies built for the eternal garden city in the presence of God. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. After that first sin in the Garden of Eden, the Lord was walking in the garden, and he asked a question of Adam and Eve. He simply asked, Where are you? It was a question emphasizing their alienation from God, demonstrating the catastrophic effects of sin as it entered humanity and the world itself. Sin had separated, and death was certain. But here in the garden outside the tomb, Jesus asked Mary a different question. As he looked at her, he said, Woman, why are you weeping? The contrast between this question to Mary and the question to that first couple couldn't be more stark. One was an announcement of awful separation, and the other was something else entirely. It was an announcement of life from the dead, of resurrection and reunification of unexpected joy erupting out of heartache. Jesus asked, Why are you weeping? And in his question, he expresses a great truth. Weeping is over. I am alive, and I will be alive forevermore. And soon, in a beautiful expression of the unique quality of the voice of God, he simply says Mary, saying her name as only he would say it. His voice was all she needed even if his body was a bit different than it was before. Mary then was off, with joy fueling her feet running back to the disciples to tell them the news. News that was disbelieved in their great grief at the loss of their rabbi. Later that evening, as they were talking about these things, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a ghost. 
at this evening meal on the first day of the week, Jesus is suddenly standing among the disciples and says, Peace be with you. A greeting not unlike that question he'd posed to Mary in the garden. It was as much an announcement as a greeting. But the disciples think they see a ghost of some sort and become very afraid and doubtful. Surely it couldn't be, could it? He'd been crucified and buried. Could it really be? And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. They disbelieved for joy. So overwhelming was their wonder and awe at seeing Jesus alive in the flesh that they struggled to even believe it. So much so that apparently Jesus seeks to demonstrate in a different way that it's really him in flesh and blood by eating something in front of them. But after proving that it was in fact him, Jesus said some profound words that should affect every disciple's Bible reading and learning. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah should suffer and on the third day should rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus is developing the next era of world history, an era in which repentance and forgiveness of sins is proclaimed not just to the people of Israel, but to every nation. Further, he explains that the Hebrew Bible testifies to what has happened to Jesus. We can look into the Old Testament and see that all that happened to Jesus was foretold beforehand. Jesus looks at the Hebrew Bible and says, Me. That's what it ultimately points to. It points to me. I am the one who reestablishes the blessing of Eden. I am the blessing for all nations promised to Abraham in the covenant. I am the king from David coming to rule on the earth. And disciples, you have a job to do. As soon as the Holy Spirit comes, the promise of my Father, as soon as He comes upon you, you are to proclaim my news to every nation. Just as Jesus said in the Passover meal with His disciples, so He said here, Jesus was going to the Father, and the Father would send them the Holy Spirit to dwell in them and empower their ministry. Just as the cross was part of the plan, so Jesus returning to the Father is part of the plan. The next stage in the story would be something new. The abundant life of Jesus spreading to every nation. Jesus made appearances like this to hundreds of people over the next 40 days or so. 40 days of incredible encouragement and evidences of His real bodily resurrection. Appearances 
that would inform the mission of the disciples into the next era. But there was one disciple who was probably having the roughest time with this news. Not that he wasn't happy about it, rather that he probably felt intense shame as he looked upon his risen teacher. Shame that at the time threatened the joy of the resurrection. But Jesus didn't forget about him. No, Jesus specifically came to this disciple to encourage and to commission his burdened heart. It happened during that 40 days when some of those fishermen that he'd called years ago were back on the water in the Sea of Galilee, hoping for a catch. Simon Peter instigated the small crew to go out on the water, and they'd been fishing all night. But every time they pulled in the nets, they were greeted with no reward for their labor. Then, just as day was breaking, someone called out to their boat from the shore. Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No probably wondering why this man would call them children. Then he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Then John said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. You can understand Peter's heart pounding with joy. He knew what this meant, and he could recall that day so many years ago with perfect clarity. Just as it happened then, it was happening now. The fishing all night, the empty nets, the command from Jesus to cast the nets in again, and the great sudden catch of fish. It had to be him. Jesus had come, and he was calling Peter again. It's no wonder that he jumped into the water for joy. Now when the disciples all got to the shore, they ate a simple breakfast of bread and fish with their teacher. None asked who he was. Despite his different appearance, they all knew that it was Jesus. But the culmination of this appearance of Jesus finally happened after this modest meal. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this to Peter, he said, Follow me. Jesus knew that Peter needed this conversation. He knew that the three denials of Peter would eat at him forever, were it not for the restoration that only Jesus could provide. 
Each of the affirmations of Peter's love were like a balm to Peter, healing the scars from denying Jesus during that fateful Passover night. But in addition to that, Jesus recalls Peter's loyalty from that night, saying that he would die for Jesus. Jesus says to Peter that he certainly will die for him, and it will be a death glorifying to God. And finally, in an echo of the original calling of Peter, Jesus ends the encounter with the same words as the beginning, Follow me. Jesus had restored Peter back to the ministry, back to following Jesus. But this time it would be different. He, along with the other disciples, would follow Jesus into a new era. A new era of resurrection power among all the nations of the world. Jesus has risen from the dead, and the light shines in the darkness once again. Atonement has been accomplished, and the powers of darkness have been broken. Now the kingdom of light advances against the dark. It advances not with sword or spear or javelin, but in the name of the Lord of hosts, the resurrected one, awaiting the final future installment of his kingdom on the earth. Jesus, the King, calls the advance and leads his people with the same call as the beginning. Follow me. Though the sword pierce you, though arrows find you, though crosses bear you, do not fear, for I am the resurrection and the life. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023